0: We have a search committee that is actively looking for uh, a new lead minister, and I just want to give you a little update on that. Um, the the bleary-eyed people that you see kind of stumbling around here, that's the search committee. They have been really working hard. They've been uh, going through a lot of resumes, um, listening to sermons online, uh, conducting interviews. So please continue to keep that process in your prayers as we seek God's will for this church. And I also would like you to be in prayer for David Faith and, and Garrett Lomshire, as they uh, have you know a lot of burden on their shoulders right now. They are really they really stepped up. They are filling the pulpit uh, most weeks and doing a lot of duties that are not a part of their job description. So please uh, give them your prayers and support. Um, you know, one plan that the elders had to try to you know make sure there was plenty of support for. Folks who are filling the pulpit, is um, we decided every once in a while we we're going to try to find a speaker who was just awful, just as bad as we could find. And it sounded like a good plan to me, but then the elders cuddled up, uh, the other elders, and they came out and they said we- they wanted me to do it today. So I'm, I'm not sure if there was a change in plans or what. <laughs> so I'm glad that, uh, that Dave and Garrett picked uh, a wonderful top- topic for us to go through here this early summer uh, Gospel of John. and I've always felt like if you were marooned on a desert island someplace and you remember know, you're shipwrecked and only one book would wash up on shore, what what book would you want it to be? But, well you know I kind of set that up I was actually thinking of the bible right but um, if you uh, if you could have only one book of the Bible wash up, I think the Gospel of John would be a good candidate because you know, no other book of the Bible is just so direct and so intimate about who Jesus is. Um, no other book is so uncomfortable uh, reading for those who, who would claim that he's just a good man or a prophet. Um, it's wonderful to read in John how people encounter Jesus and are changed. That's what we're going to be reading about this morning, about somebody was in a bad situation. There's change, and Jesus asked him a question that he also asked us, and we're going to see how we responded and how that was transformed. So please uh, pray with me as we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this church, for, for this body, and for who you are and for the riches of your word that, you, that you've given to us. We pray that those riches would spill out this morning. Uh, Father, please open our ears and our hearts to, to what you have to say. Uh, allow us to be obedient and to be changed as you want us to be changed. I pray that you just take me out of the way and you'll be the only one glorified this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I suspect we've all been in a situation from time to time where you were stuck in a place you didn't want to be. And I recall the time that my brother and I were doing some smallmouth bass fishing in the James River up above Richmond. And the open canoe, Uh, we had uh, floated this stretch of the river. Quite a bit, uh, during, mostly during the, the late summer. Though the water was low and the rapids weren't quite as big. Uh, this was an April trip, I'm recalling, and river was up. The rapids were knocked were knocked up a notch. And I, I hate to admit that my brother and I are, are more interested in fishing than paddling. When one person is fishing, he thinks the other guy's gonna be paddling, and vice versa. And neither of us are paddling. We went through a rapid that we were just completely unprepared for. It wiped us out. We got knocked out of the canoe. Canoe swept way downstream, our gears in the water. Um, I, you know, I wasn't concerned about retrieving the canoe at that point, I just did not want to drown So he and I both, we had a life vest on, we managed to climb out of the water onto a rock into the middle of this you know, rapid just downstream, a pretty wide stretch of the river. We started to get cold, because you know April we had some pretty cool weather and when you, when you get wet, it doesn't have to be that cold before you're cold. And you have to worry about hypothermia. We had to strip down a lot of our clothes. So, uh, you know, I imagine that we'd look quite a sight, sitting on that rock in the middle of the river. No canoe, no gear, in our underwear. I, I'm not trying to create an offensive image in your minds. I'm just trying to show you how silly we must have looked there. And of course, what, what we're thinking is, what in the world are we going to do now? (laughs) We didn't seem to have a lot of options at that moment. And fortunately, we didn't have to be there long. We heard a motor coming from downstream, and an older gentleman in a john boat was coming upstream with our canoe. And beautiful sight. We got a lot of our gear back. He set us back on our way. He saved us that day. Uh, We ended up sending him like a gift certificate to a restaurant to, to thank him. And, uh, you know, that, that really happened to us. I, I'd like to give you an alternate ending to this to this event. though. suppose he'd come upstream with that canoe in tow, and he'd said, uh, Hey, boys, looks like you're in a tight spot. Would you like your canoe back? And we thought about it for a moment and we said, Well, no, thank you, sir. We've just had a bad experience with that canoe, and we want no more part of it. We uh, actually are kind of liking it on this rock, as a matter of fact. Uh, the sun's starting to warm us up a little bit. We're liking to the water, kind of rushing by. Uh, thanks anyway. We were able to look even more like fools than we actually did sitting there. Well, we're going to read in First John today about somebody who has made an offer. And Jesus came up to him and offered him, just like he offers us, a pretty important offer. I mean, Jesus offers us quite a bit, but He doesn't force it on us. He says, "Do you want what I want for your life?" And we have to respond to that. So let's get right into our text here, uh, John chapter five. This is a low tech sermon today. Not going to be on the screen, so I hope you brought your Bibles. John chapter five, starting in verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get to the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, Someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. That once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Skipping down to verse 14. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This particular event is set in a pretty sad place, just outside the gates of Jerusalem. A place where <coughs> folks who have no hope, who have no one to help them, are just kind of dumped there. You know, my, my, my mother is in a long-term care facility, a wonderful long-term care facility over in Williamsburg Landing here. She has advanced Parkinson's and dementia, and a lot of the folks in your wing are in a, kind of in a similar situation. And I hate to say it because it's my mother, but it's kind of depressing to go over there and visit. Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks there that just you know, don't seem to have a lot of hope. You know, th- in this life, anyway. not, not a lot to to look forward to. Well, this place was ten times worse than any nursing home around here. People just lying out, probably probably lying in their own filth. I don't want to get too graphic, but this is this is this is kind of like a pillow on earth right here, you know, having a little nominal hope in this pool which the people there believed that there was an angel that would come down and stir the pool and they would look for when the pool would ripple in an unusual way. And they believed that the first person in the pool after that would would be healed. So this man is just a bundle of rags lying there. He's got no one. No one would ever talk to him. Why would anyone talk to him when a man comes up to him who he doesn't know. He doesn't know it's Jesus, an ordinary looking man and all of a sudden start speaking to him and asking him a question that at first this man must think is some kind of joke or some kind of, uh, maybe he's mocking you. Do you want to get well? Here I am. I've been lame for 38 years and you're asking me if I want to get well. Of course I want to get well. Maybe you thought it was a rhetorical question, like, you know, why me? Why me? A question that doesn't really merit an answer. But there must have been something in Jesus' voice. I don't know whether he heard compassion, or seriousness, but he realized this man is not making fun of me. And more than that, he actually expects an answer to the question he's asked: "Do you want to get well?" Now we know that when Jesus is raising issues of healing, whether he's talking about the blind that can now see, or the lame walking, or the those who are dead rising, that there's a real physical. Physical healing he brought, but what is he? He's really talking about something more important. He's talking about spiritual healing, about the restoration of that relationship with God, about forgiveness of sins. And he even makes this very explicit in verse 14, where Jesus sought this man out at the temple and said, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. He's saying, 38 years being lame is a walk in the park compared to an eternity without God, and that's where you're headed without me, but I can rescue you from that so when we think of this question do you want to get well, we have to think of it physically, but more importantly spiritually do we want that right relationship with God in all its fullness so I think there are several ways that the man could have answered um, you know, one way he could have answered, and Jesus says, do you want to get well he could say no, I like it this way so you might not expect this for somebody in that situation. Uh, there may be some people who like being dependent on others and having absolutely no responsibilities and, and and begging for a living. I don't think there are many. But when it comes to the spiritual question, do we want to get out of our sin? Do we want to move on? Do we want to move, move out of the world to a more godly life? We say this all the time, don't we? I do. I, I really... Uh, I really identify with the poet Carl Sandburg, who had a quote, he said, There is an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there is a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. I identify with that. That's, that's Romans chapter 7, right there. Even Paul said he went through the same thing. We're torn, right? Sometimes we are dragged kicking and screaming out of the lifestyle or sin that we are enjoying so much. But there's another way that He could have answered that would be kind of similar but almost sound wise. He could have said, Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he says, no, I've come to accept this condition. I've just come to accept this as my lot in life. It's amazing what people will get used to. I read about a study not too long ago uh, where they were studying people's happiness. What made people happy and sad? And they did this on two groups of people. One group of people had just won the lottery, and the other group of people had just been paralyzed in an accident. So they asked them a bunch of questions and then rated how happy they were. Now, who do you think was happy? The people that had just won the lottery or the people that were paralyzed? The lottery, yes. The people that won the lottery were happy. Not a trick question interesting thing is they went back six months later and the scores of the two groups were the same. People had kind of adjusted to their new reality. They had accepted it as normal one way or the other and they were going to be about as happy as they were going to be regardless of their circumstances. What's normal for a saved believer of Christ? What kind of life? Now we know that we actually don't have a lot of guarantees in the Bible with regard to how long we're going to live, how healthy we're going to be, how rich we're going to be. But with the, real more, the more important stuff, the spiritual blessings that we promise, we are promised a treasure trove. And this is not a sermon on the promises of God because that would be a long sermon series, but just to give you a taste. He's promised to prosper us, Jeremiah 29, to work for our good, Romans 8, to provide a way out of any temptation, 1 Corinthians 10. To give us the peace that transcends all understanding. Philippians 4. That we could actually know God's will. Romans 12. That he would have his very presence dwelling within us. 1 Corinthians 3. To transform us into the very likeness of Christ in time. 2 Corinthians 3. To have life and to have it more abundantly. John 10. 10. John Eldridge, in his book, The Journey to Desire, Journey to Above Desire, says something awful has happened, something terrible, something worse even than the fall of man, for in that greatest of all tragedies, we merely lost paradise, and with it, everything that made life worth living. What has happened since is unthinkable. We've gotten used to it. Now, as Christians, we are not called to be too used to this world. What is normal for a Christian? We're, what's normal for a Christian is for God to fulfill these promises to us and for us to walk towards him and claim them, to have a life of joy and peace and genuine love, that our good times are better than anything the world could offer us, and our bad times, which we're going to have, we're all going to go through periods of anxiety anxiety, and struggle with our temptations but though even in those times we have comfort and consolation for the good things to come that's what's normal for us you know, but when I look back on my own spiritual walk I, I look back on times of growth and times when I felt like I was understanding God's will more, under, understanding my own brokenness my own need for His grace my own helplessness without Him I was feeling weaker in myself and stronger in Him followed by long periods of what I would call a plateau of spiritual mediocrity. Where I had not a really a bad place, not a horrible place, but a place where I was comfortable. A mat I was lying down on that was actually a pretty comfortable mix of worldliness and the spiritual. We're called to greater things, you know. We shouldn't be satisfied with that. If we're Having living a life of anxiety. not Maybe we feel like the love that we're offering to other people is just superficial, not that genuine love that, that God gives. Maybe we feel like we don't <laughs> desire God like we should. Don't, don't be satisfied with that. <clears throat> there was a salesman, uh, a sales guru I was reading a book not too long ago. He was giving advice to salesmen about how to uh, make more sales. And he pointed out a fact that uh, there's one thing that salesmen hate to hear. From a potential customer. They're trying to gain a new customer, and the customer says, Thank you, but I am satisfied with my present supplier. He says, Don't worry about that question, because I love getting that response. He says, When I hear that, I say, I'm glad to hear that you're only satisfied with your present supplier, because if you had my product, you'd be ecstatic. Now, if he's selling paper clips or something, I'm not sure how ecstatic you would be about paper clips, But the point is that we are called to a life of joy and peace and comfort in our time of mourning. We're called to greater promises than I think sometimes we're willing to claim. And I think in these cases, Jesus is saying, you need to stop staying where you are. You need to pick up your mat and walk. Look, look at your life for areas of obedience you don't have to wait 38 years for me. I've already provided everything you need. You just need to examine your life for areas of obedience where you need to take steps. You know, another way he could have answered is, uh, you know, Jesus says, "Do you want to be well?" And he could say, "Yes, but it's impossible." And this is really what the man, how the man responds, right? He says. Uh, Jesus, I, you know, I can't. I'm, I can't even move. You know, I've got no one to help me. There's no way I can get into the pool. And we know from many years of Steve teaching us that God is the God who specializes in the impossible. There was no task for Him to, to heal the man. In fact, He wanted to get the man's attention off the pool. He doesn't say anything about the pool. He just says, "Pick up your mat and walk." All you need is me. There's a church in South Africa. That uh, had gone through a painful split. I don't know exactly what they were arguing about. Probably something very secondary to the gospel. But the minister had taken the great majority of the congregation and they'd gone off and formed another church. And what you were left with was 40 brokenhearted people. And they had a new pastor come to them. His name was John. And he gathered the people together and he said, You know, what do you want to be? Kind of a similar question as Jesus asked. What is it that you want? What is it that you want to accomplish as a church? And their initial response was something like, are you kidding me? Do you you know what we've just been through? Do you know how demoralized we are? We are just lucky to even be here as a church at all. We just want to exist. And John said to them, really, Is is that all you want? Is that all you think God wants for you? When Jesus says that two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with you, and you've got 40? 40 people in the almighty God of the universe, and you don't think you can accomplish anything that God wants you to accomplish? And Is that really all you want? And people reconsidered. They noticed that near them they had a camp of extreme poverty of AIDS victims. And they started to reach out to that camp and minister to them bring them the word in a short time they were the number two church in Africa ministering to AIDS victims and have grown from 40 into the hundreds and thousands so I think there's really only one right answer to this question do you want to get well do you want to move closer to me or do you want to stay where you are and the answer is yes I do want to get well and Jesus you can make it happen Now, I want to just conclude with a little a little fairy tale story that I think illustrates this it's from John Eldridge's book once again it's a little fairy tale but I think it makes a point it's called it's about a sea lion who had lost the sea um, he was living in the desert and he had distant memories of the ocean but he wasn't even sure if they were real he hated living in the desert but what else did he have He decided he was going to go off and try to find the ocean so he was walking through the desert, and he finds kind of a, a little oasis where there was a little hole of kind of muddy water. He said, "This is different." And he got down in it, and the water kind of felt nice to his skin. He said, "This is better than the desert." And there was a rock near the pool, and he would climb up on that rock at night, and he would smell the—he could almost smell the salty sea breeze. And at night he had these dreams of this beautiful blue ocean, waves crashing on the shore, full of kelp, full of fish, other sea lions cavorting. And he would wake just with tears in his eyes. And after this dream of the kind of life that he could have, the kind of life that he thought he remembered, waking up to the reality of the desert, Um, after a while this tortoise was crossing the desert, and he met the tortoise there. The tortoise came by the pool, and he made friends with the tortoise, and uh, he told the tortoise about these dreams he had of this, this big ocean. And the tortoise kind of laughed and said, you know, you've got a pretty active imagination. You know, I've lived in this desert all my life, and I'm guaranteeing you this is all there is. I've worked 20 miles in this direction and 20 miles in that direction. It's nothing but desert. As a matter of fact, the pool that you're lying in right now uh, you know, the way you describe the ocean, I think this pool is probably it. It's probably the best you're going to do. So I think you would make yourself happier just by learning to accept that and making the most of your life right here. And the sea lion thought this was wise, so he even stopped going up on his rock. So one night the wind started to blow, and it blew every leaf off every tree. It was hanging out with a little pool. And it blew all the water out of that pond and then when the sea lion woke up in the morning, there was nothing left. And this tortoise woke up and he saw the sea lion heading off across the desert. And he said, where are you going? And the sea lion said, I'm going to find the ocean." I think that's the path that, that we ought to be on and that we ought to be looking at the own map that we might be lying on and thinking about areas of obedience that Jesus is calling us to. So, I'm going to offer an invitation this morning. Um, You know, some of you may feel like this crippled man, crippled in sin. Maybe you've realized this morning that it's time to get off that map. We need the grace that Jesus provides, washing away of your sins. And you're willing to make that commitment this morning. Or maybe you've been a Christian a while and you feel like you've just been stuck in a place where you haven't been, you've been satisfied with something less than the full promises that God's offered. And you're willing to put your feet back on that path and draw up closer close to Him. If you want to come this morning and share, we're going to support you. We're going to be here as a church to support you because that's the path we all want to be on walking on together. You know, Paul, as a godly man as he was, as close as he was to understanding the will of God, he still wasn't satisfied with where he was. He said, not that I have already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus.